The early Christians, who sometimes unfortunately died in the hundreds and thousands for their faith, had a saying that they loved to say, that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. Uh, And the initials from that saying form the Greek word ichthus, which means fish, which is where the fish symbol comes from. Uh, But what they were saying in their day was quite dramatic. Because in the Old Testament, uh, God had a sacred name that people rarely said. And so when they came to the sacred name in the scriptures, they would just use the Hebrew word Adonai for Lord. In the Roman world, Lord meant power. Caesar called himself Lord. The Greek word for Lord is kurios. And so if you were a Roman citizen, you had to swear, Caesar is kurios. And so for the early Christians to say, Jesus Christ is kurios, and Adonai, they were making a revolutionary claim. Uh, Todd's going to teach us about that today. Listen for it in this passage in Luke 1, that this baby who's being born is both Lord and Savior. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive and in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, Savior. And he will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord, God, will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and in his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. All right. I hope you're doing well. Hope you are enjoying Advent. It's upon us. Uh, It is a good season. Uh, The text before us is a classic one. And we're going to unpack some important ideas from it. And so will you join me in prayer? Let's get together before the throne. Our Father, thank you for these moments. I ask that you would indeed intersect with us right now. Intervene. Uh, show us anew and afresh. Uh, re-astonish us with the need for your grace. Father, we wouldn't normally ask for a king. But we ask that you would help us to ask for him now. Thank you for the word of God. Uh, Empower it to change us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. 
Okay. Um, our series, as has been explained in the service, we are talking about descending. And today we're talking about descending to rule. Descending to rule. And uh, to talk to a bunch of Americans about a king. That's a little bit unusual, isn't it? We as Americans have, a trouble, with, have trouble with kings, uh, historically. And so we like to vote people into office. And so to talk about a king who uh, receives no votes and just is our king is a little bit hard for us to, do, to, uh, to, to deal with. Um, I want to cover three ideas from these, these, uh, these, the, these texts there in Luke 1, 32 and 33, really, when Gabriel, this great angel, is explaining to Mary that this is the divine one, this is, this is going to be the son of David, and his kingdom will reign forever. Just want to park right there, and I want to, to bring out three ideas um, there is a deep drive for order that is addressed in this text, order. There is a deep delight for story uh, that is heightened in this passage. And then there is a deep desperation for news that is realized. So those key words, if you track with me, uh, uh, order, story, and news. Order, first of all, order. Uh, the, this Gabriel announces to Mary, it's, a, it's just this divine interruption. You're familiar with it. Uh, and, and out of just coming from heaven to earth, Gabriel announces to Mary what her future is going to be like. And I'm sure she never, in, uh, never imagined this. And this divine interruption uh, is, is setting uh, the table for what's about to happen in the life of Jesus. And uh, he's going to be born into this world and he's going to suffer and uh, rise from the dead. And this extraordinary order of God, the order of God is going to come crashing down and interrupt in individual lives, interrupt the, the life of Israel, interrupt Rome, and ultimately going to interrupt the, the course of the world. The, the most significant event in world history is being announced to Mary through the, the angel Gabriel. And I, I want to start right up front with the idea that uh, order, order is something we all want in our lives. We're all striving for it. Uh, you're listening now. Is this sermon, does it have order to it? Uh, you, you're, you're living a life that you want to have uh, as few disruptions as possible, I think. And you're, we all are driving after deep order. I am. I'm trying to uh, manage my life well, and I'm trying to minimize distractions and interruptions. And this is a passage where Mary has never signed up for this. She, she never uh, went to uh, a school to train her for this. Uh, she, Gabriel just shows up and says, welcome to God's divine interruption for your life. And what we find, though, it's much more than an inter- interruption. It's actually a way of introducing Mary and the rest of us to the order that we have always longed for, but we didn't know it. We have always been made for a king. We've always been made for God to be the one who orders our world. Now, I was born in this world like you with uh, my own understanding of order, my own understanding of how things should be put together. And this divine interruption is absolutely necessary. In fact, you are in this room today as a worshiper of Christ because of a divine interruption that happened in your life. God, in his grace, didn't let you go, 
but came with, a, with an abrupt announcement that spoke to your heart, changed your heart, and you responded to God's gracious call to believe in Jesus Christ. You know, as I have been interacting with uh, people who don't believe, one of the things I've bumped into, and I've sort of found my text for this, but I actually fa- bumped into this as, as a, just sort of a way of talking to non-Christians, I would tell them what's going on in the moment as we're talking. In other words, I would take the bold step, and I just, just bumped into this, I would tell them what God is doing in the conversation right then. You might think, that's quite bold, Pastor Todd. I'm amazed that lightning hasn't come out and, and, uh, you know, from heaven and taken you out. How do you know that God is working in that moment? Well, when we're talking about the gospel, when we're, when we're dialoguing about biblical ideas, I have been given and you've been given authorization to tell them what's going on right there in that moment. A divine a struggle is going on, a spiritual struggle. Something's happening right in that moment. God is going to pierce that moment with a sense of his divine order. This happened to, this happened to me uh, when we were visiting Turkey. This was about five, six years ago. We had a great trip as a family to Turkey. And we were in the middle of Turkey in this place called Cappadocia. And uh, in Cappadocia, there are all these, these cave churches. And uh, so we've been walking around on a kind of a one-day guided tour of these cave churches, and there were four college girls who had just graduated from UC Berkeley, and they were there with us and walking around with us. And so at the middle of the day, we had a, a, a chance to have lunch together, and so that was part of the tour. And uh, we are, it was a really unique setting. We were actually on a deck, a restaurant that was, had built a deck over a river, and so underneath us was a river, and we're eating our lunch, looking down at the water, and fortunately, we didn't fall through. And in this moment, there was a lady named Katie, and she had been asking me over and over and over questions about Christianity, how did I know this was true, all these kinds of, she had all this sort of skepticism and ideas, but they were good questions. And in fact, at some point, I just sort of like you know, you're going to really have to chase me down because I would like to focus on the cave churches. And she was sort of after me. Every turn, sort of another question. And so finally at lunch, I turned to her, and she was right in front of me, and our Marianne's here, and the girls are there. She's right in front of me. Her name was Katie. And I said, Katie, can I just tell you what's going on here? I said, no one would be asking questions about the gospel or about Jesus Christ or about the Bible unless God was working upon you. I want you to know something, that the God that you're resisting is calling you right now. In other words, right now in this moment, God is calling you to know his son. In this moment, right now, it's happening. And it's always interesting to tell non-Christians that because they always, they'll say, really, that that is what happened. That's what's happening right now. It's happening right now. God is calling you. This is what Gabriel does with Mary. He explains the divine moment, and it's happening right now. Right now, divine order is entering this world. Right now, you're being introduced to the big picture that you can't see, and God's allowing you to see what you need to see. 
Humanity has always needed a king, and he is King Jesus. Divine order, descending, the descending son of God embodied. He's our covenant representative. He's the one who re- represents God's people. He suffers. He rises again from the dead. He ascends into heaven, and now he rules. And now he's expanding the order of the kingdom. It's happening right now. It's happening around the world. A disordered, troubled world is being brought to an awareness of how God is ordering things through his son, Jesus Christ. A divine disruption is continuing. My life, if you're a believer in Jesus, your life is being reordered through Jesus Christ, through the worship of the church, through involvement in the church, through the scriptures. And then Gabriel says of this kingdom order, this this world, there will be no end to this world, this kingdom that Jesus is establishing. So this drive for order is addressed. And if you're not a Christian here today, one of the interesting things for you to think about is to really grapple with your drive, your drivenness to to have a world that actually works. Think about that. if, If you're a reflective person, if you're a thoughtful person, you know this world is not in in uh, a place where justice happens. You know this is a place where pain happens. Uh, Evil is real. These are things that you experience inside you, and you want order. How do you explain yourself? You don't have to get into real lofty arguments or proofs for the existence of God. Simply think about your own drivenness to experience a utopia on this world. You, you want to have an experience of beauty and justice and goodness and truth. And you know what? You are leaking out what the Bible calls the image of God. You've been made for divine order. You've been made for, to follow God's, God's plan and God's order. And so this is, this is the frustration you're experiencing and we would love for you to talk more, to talk more with you about who Jesus is and what it means to have him as king. And I want to just stress one final thought here on this idea of order. We're just beginning to understand it. The rhythm of our life, Sunday worship, uh, work throughout the week, ordering our families, um, di- di- God's divine in- intervention in our lives is just something we're beginning to get used to, to be conscious of. Another idea. Gabriel announces, Mary, you're going to have a son. He's going to be a son of David. His kingdom will, be a, with no, will have no end. We have now entered into the story. We have now been drawn into the great story of Scripture. Our deep delight for story is heightened. Don't you love stories? We often mention stories here as a, as a church. We've been made for story. Uh, what movies or books we're drawn to. It's the story that we are, are after. I remember preaching in seminary at the church I was attending at the time. Marianne and I were members, and uh, the pastor there was just a tremendous preacher, could, could bring Christ alive in every text of the Bible. He was so good at it. And uh, I remember preaching on Jeremiah 7 to the congregation, and um, I remember him coming up to me afterwards And uh, he talked to me and he said, look, whenever you preach, remember this, that under every text of the Bible, there's a pipe. That's what he said, a pipe. 
and uh, not the kind you smoke, but uh, but but uh, but but a pipe like a like a plumbing pipe. And what what he meant was the pipe is going one direction backwards, and the pipe is going another direction forwards. And that was an intriguing idea. That is a, a way of thinking in terms of the, but the Bible is a series of covenants. And one thing that will happen in, say, a book like First Kings, well, it just doesn't come out of the, the blue. It's built on what's come before. And so there's a pipe underneath our text here in Luke chapter 1, and it goes all the way back to Genesis 3, even beyond that. 3, where God promises a warrior who's going to come. So when you read your Bible, remember that the text has a connection to everything that's gone before it. And to find the richness of it, we must explore what's gone before. And for us, now we can appreciate the fullness of what we know as Christ is the fulfillment of all these, of all these promises that are underneath these texts. So... The son of David is a, an amazing statement in the Bible. Whenever you have in your Bible, you'll see it there in verse 32 and 33 of chapter 1, that this is the son of David. He's going to reign on David's throne. That is, that is uh, really cool stuff. And if you're a, a Bible student, I want you to really grasp this. This was the big expectation uh, for God's people, that one day there would be another son of David reigning on the throne of God. And this was the, an anticipation that the people had in the Old Testament. Now, uh, as you're watching your Bible unfold, uh, what's happened is that, that the promise that God is going to send a warrior, God's going to send someone who's going to... Uh, uh, destroy Satan, this comes from Genesis 3.15, that one is going to come and he's going to do battle with Satan. And from Genesis 3.15 onwards, we're watching the drama, the story of the Bible. The entire Bible could be said to be a, a, an answer to the question, will God come through? Will God come and bring the one he promises in Genesis 3.15? And from that moment on in the Bible, we're watching who might, who might it be? Who might be the one who will do battle with Satan? And Eve, as she has children, you can sense that she's anticipating perhaps one of these sons will be the one promised. And as the Bible unfolds, we're watching babies. We're watching, in particular, one person who will be born who will be the deliverer. And, and much, many times in the Bible, it comes down to one person. You'll notice, for instance, in Genesis 6, it comes down to one person named Noah. Uh, Genesis 12, one person named Abraham. Uh, Genesis 37, one person named Joseph. Starting in the book of Exodus, one person named Let's try that again. One person named? Moses. Nice job. Good job. All right. One person. One person. As, as the Bible keeps going and unfolds, you can even have Hannah in, in the book of Samuel who can't have a child. And suddenly there's this miracle child named Samuel. And we're watching uh, women have children who, who didn't expect it or, or they're sort of kind of miracle children. And uh, then there's this remarkable uh, individual who seems to be overlooked. He's the second king of, of Israel. And um, he's David, a little shepherd uh, boy when we first meet him. 
Uh, he takes on Goliath. He's, he's, he takes on Goliath, and he's fearless. He's quite remarkable. He has a heart for God. He has faults. He has deep struggles, yes. But David in 1000 BC becomes the paradigm for what it means to be a good king. He's it. In 1000 BC, David is reigning, and a couple of things David does is he pushes back the enemies of God. The Philistines were always around for a long time. David finally pushes them back and gets them out, and he expands the borders of Israel. David brings in these glory days where even the nations are around are curious. Who is the, who's the God of Israel? Who's David's God? And then Solomon, Solomon has uh, visitors who now visit Israel. Israel because much of the work of David built the glory of Israel. David, David was a big deal. After David, trouble comes. On the other side of Solomon's reign, when Solomon passes away, the, the, the nation divides. And we have a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And the northern kingdom lasts for a while, and they're taken out by the Assyrians. Then we have the southern kingdom, little tiny Judah with Jerusalem down there. About two and a half tribes are down there, and they're struggling, and they have, they have prophets and uh, kings, and they have kind of, sometimes they have revival, and sometimes they don't, apostasy. They're hanging on, they're hanging on. And then in 586, because of idolatry, God brings in the Babylonians. And the Babylonians attack Jerusalem, and they destroy the temple. This is a, this is a bad moment in the Old Testament. And then... A number of them are, are deported, and they're brought out as exiles, and they go to Babylon. And the time of Daniel now takes place. And uh, they leave Jerusalem, but they have this hope. Various prophets were saying, there will be a day when one of David's sons will reign on David's throne. And he will reign, this is Second Samuel seven twelve. he will reign forever. Now, would that encourage you if you were in exile and you, you've seen your city destroyed, your temple destroyed, and there was a promise that one of David's sons would reign forever? I'm motivated. You're motivated. Kids, hang on. Let's say we have grandchildren and we're going off to, to Babylon and well, we might die there, but they might actually see those glory days coming. And so this, this is the language of how people talked in those days. There will be There'll be coming a great glory day, a revival, a return to the glory days of David. Oh, that God would bring those days back. We will no longer be the laughingstock of the nations, this exiled people, but we will now be an exalted nation with God in our midst and one of David's sons on the throne. Now, I'm excited. And so they rebuild, they rebuild the temple. And what's their anticipation? Get the right king, get one of David's sons, turn away from all your idolatries, and God will bring back the glory days of David. So they rebuild the temple, and a few more prophets come by, and the Old Testament ends. Um, What happened? Well, the great glory days were delayed. And then we have what's called the 400-year period of silence there's no prophets there's no revelation it's very confusing lots of different uh, uh, the uh, 
the generals who were associated with Alexander the Great sort of come marching through and take over various parts of Israel and it's, it, it, this area that we now call Palestine. It, it becomes this, uh, well, it's sort of almost like a freeway for the nations. It's very confusing. 400 years of silence. What happened to the great promise that the days of David would return? Then an angel talks to a young woman and says, Hail, favored one. The days of David have come. One who is of David's lineage will be born. And then Gabriel quotes 2 Samuel 7 and says, And of his kingdom there will be no end. And he He represents that God intended to build up the house of David. And the context of what they call the Davidic covenant was this. David wanted his God to have a permanent dwelling. He was tired of this tabernacle worship, that mobile tent structure that was around for such a long time. David says, I want you to have a permanent dwelling. I want to build a house for you. But David was a man of war and he was not allowed to build the temple Solomon built the temple. But God promises him this. David, I know you want me to have a permanent place of dwelling. But I, I will make you a house. I'll make you a dynasty. I'll put one of your sons on the throne forever. You want to build me a house, I'm going to build you a house. It's the house of David. Now, all of this is how we, we can come to deeply appreciate Gabriel's message to, uh, to Mary. The promise to restore Israel's glory is underway. It's going to be through Mary's son. Now, the great days or the, the sad days of exile are coming to an end. And Jesus loved to preach to exiles. Not so much exiles who are in Babylon, but exiles who are in darkness. Exiles who are sinners abandoned or separated from the presence of God. Jesus came for those who were poor in spirit, broken, heavy laden, in order to give them the good news of the forgiveness of sins. So, what makes a great story? Well, so much could be said at this point, but here's one good, I think, good idea. A great story always has a hero who leaves their world and gets involved in a world they wouldn't normally get involved with. They leave sort of their ordinary world and they enter a special world. Think of a story like a a housewife who uh, wants to solve a crime and the police aren't doing it. So she, she says, I'll figure this out. And so she leaves her life, her ordinary life, and she enters into the special world of detection, uh, detective work, right? And she goes there for a noble cause, for something that's worth risking her own life for, right? That's what makes a good story. That's why we follow the novels that we do or the movies that we watch in order to watch the hero. They've left their ordinary world and they've entered into a special world in order to do something noble, virtuous, and risky. And of course, this is now 
the one who is promised to be the son of David does something extraordinary. He comes as a king, but he doesn't expect to be served. He comes to serve. He's a shepherd king. He's willing to sacrifice himself for his subjects, willing to die for his subjects. He enters in, he leaves that ordinary world of glory and now comes to a special world. But for him, it's a place of suffering and hardship. So there's a deep drive for order and there's a deep delight for story. And I hope as you hear those words from Gabriel, you're you're really brought into this. Wow, there is an amazing story underway. And then lastly, there's a deep desperation for news that is realized. Um, This announcement comes as news. The gospel comes as news to us. It's something that takes place outside of us. And Jesus is going to come, and the news is going to be that he's going to come with great power, power such that the world has not seen since creation. One day the disciples are going to be on the Sea of Galilee, recorded for us in Luke chapter 8, and the storm arises, And they're afraid of drowning. And Jesus stands and he speaks to the wind and he speaks to the waves and they they stop and they cease. And the disciples ask this question out loud. Who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water and they obey him? Jesus Christ is going to come with news that he is the Lord over creation. He was with the Father in creation. He has power over all aspects of this world. And we see a taste of what he can do when he heals people, when he commands, uh, when he commands nature to act in a certain way. We are hearing of news that is extraordinary, news of what Jesus is promising in the world to come, a beautiful new heaven and a new earth. Jesus brought the kingdom's power over nature, over diseases, over the spiritual realm. When we think of the demonic realm and he's casting out demons, what you have is news of God's inbreaking into this world with extraordinary power. Every sphere of this fallen world is touched by Jesus. And at the core of it was a pronouncement of the forgiveness of sins. This was the news. This was the core of his ministry. I've come to declare what the future will reveal, but let you know it now that God has declared that you are forgiven of your sins. Jesus announces the forgiveness of sins to all who believe. Let the captives free. News of a whole new life under the lordship of Christ. People who were broken people who experience great sorrow and sadness, disordered lives, disordered loves, were given the hope of a reordered life. Peter was told by Jesus one morning in Luke 5, Peter, let's go fishing. And Peter says, oh, master. You just use like this Eeyore, oh, master. We've fished all night, but at your bidding, we'll go out. This is going to be an excursion in futility. And of course, Peter learns that the identity of Jesus is that he is Lord of even the fish and that they serve at his gracious command. And 
And Jesus turns to the men in the boat and he says, Do not fear, for soon you'll be catching men. It's news of purpose, news that comes with great relief. His message is not moralistic. Do more, do more, be more, stop this, start that. His news is of relief. He comes for the weak and the heavy laden. He comes with a news that the world will not always go on, but that there is a day of judgment. News that the world has a day with destiny, and Christ will be its judge. Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount that his word as king was critical. You could not listen to his word passively or with indifference. You had to respond. And if you don't respond to his word, you will be like a foolish person who builds his house on the sand. He comes with extraordinary authority, divine authority. He comes as the final David, authorized to reign over the kingdom. He brings news. Does this news shape your life? Does the news of his identity make a difference in your life? The news of his salvation, is it impacting your life? This order that comes, it comes outside of ourselves. The story is actually not coming from within us, it's coming outside of us. The news is not coming from within us, it's coming from outside of us. Do you see how dependent we are upon God to intervene? The order, the story, and the news are understood in light of a king who's coming, descending to, descending to rule. He's humble. He's willing to suffer for his subjects. He doesn't sit at the best place at the banquet. His kingdom is founded upon humility. There's a commentary on the book of Hebrews, Richard Phillips. Richard Phillips is the author, and this is an extraordinary quote, and I leave you with this as we close. Jesus Christ, God's own Son, became like us to be a total Savior, sufficient for the whole range of our need. How hollow, then, ring the world's complaints against our God. People are saying all the time today, lamenting in this world of woe, where is God? Why doesn't he do something? Meanwhile, he has done everything. Indeed, more than ever we could have asked or imagined, God has entered into our world. He has walked through the dust of this earth. He who is life has wept before the grave. And he who is the bread of life has felt the aching of hunger in his belly. Listen to this. Is there anything more lovely in all of Scripture than the scenes of Jesus supping with the weak and the weary, the sinners and the publicans, He has taken the thorns that afflict the sin-scarred world and woven them into a crown to be pressed upon his head. And he has stretched open his arms of love that the hands that wove creation might be nailed to a wooden cross. Then he rose from the dead, conquering all that would conquer us, setting us free to live in peace and joy before the face of God. Jesus descended to rule, and to be that kind of king. Let's serve him with our lives. Let's respond in faith to him. Let's pray.
Father, thank you for this continuing story of your revelation of how you interrupt lies and you really do bring us into this extraordinary story. Father, thank you that you are now equipping us, strengthening us, giving us purpose. And thank you for the gospel, that it will be the way in which we continue to change and grow. We thank you for your glory that has been shown to us in the, in the humbling and humiliation of your son, who is now risen and ascended and our king. We thank you for Advent. Descend upon us throughout this week and give us power, power to serve. In Christ's name, amen.